Hello and welcome to The Frontline, a podcast from ILGA Europe in Brussels. We represent and work on behalf of over 600 LGBTI activist organizations across Europe and Central Asia, and our podcast aims to bring you to the front lines of queer activism in the regions. I'm Brian Finnegan from the ILGA Europe team, and this is an introduction to our new mini-series talking about the work we do to support and help empower the movement at this moment in time when our world is going through huge change. To introduce the series, I'm talking to my colleague Bjorn von Rosendahl from the ILGA Europe programmes team to get an overview of what the work looks like on a daily basis. So hey Bjorn, how are you today? Hi Brian, I'm great. Thank you. How are you doing? I'm good, I'm good. Bjorn, I know from working alongside you that there's a huge amount and a diverse amount of work going on in the programs team every day. Work that we're eager to talk about, obviously. But first, can you explain to our listeners what a programs team actually is and what your team, you and your team do on a daily basis? Absolutely, Brian. So yes, thank you. We're we're one of the teams at at ILGA Europe, and and our responsibility um, is to help enhance uh, capacities within the movement, and we do that in many different ways. We do that through uh, regranting. We do that through organizing uh, meetings, peer learning events. Uh, we provide coaching to the movement. Um, we also organize larger events like the annual conference, um, which currently is a gathering online. And what we do is we work on different thematic areas where capacities in the movement have to be enhanced. For instance, around strategic comms, um, alliance building, security, well-being, community organizing, and, and many more topics. A lot of our work centers around peer learning activities. So we note that uh, we have a particular unique role to play in terms of our ability to oversee needs, priorities, strengths, gaps across the movement. And what we can do is facilitate knowledge sharing between activists around all these thematic areas of work. So on a daily basis, we at ILG Europe, um, we spend a lot of time assessing needs, mapping gaps, developing and facilitating uh, learning opportunities, but also to document the learning for the movement. And a lot of this work happens, I'd say, alongside re-granting. We make a lot of smaller grants. And that allows organizations to put in practice what they're learning, for instance, to build a security plan following a security training that we've provided, or to develop message narratives and test them provide, uh, following coaching and input by ILGA Europe. So you, you mentioned re-granting there. Um, just maybe to clarify for our listeners, so we re-grant money to the movement. Where does that money originally come from? It's a combination of, of, of resources. So we often get money from, for instance, the European Union or from governments or from other foundations. But we also use some of our own money to regrant. So we are what we would call an intermediary. We help often other larger institutions who can't make small grants to make smaller grants to organizations who are in, uh, in, in need of that. And that is the work that we do. Bjorn, um, the world is going through a time of, of huge change. COVID-19 in 2020 and for much of 2021 has brought lockdowns and a lot of chaos for everyone. But because we work on LGBTI issues and with the movement, we're seeing specifically how it is affecting the LGBTI movement. We were moving into a new phase with COVID-19, but obviously the problems haven't gone away and they've changed and there is huge change. So how are your, you and your team prioritizing the work you do? I'll talk about how we do that and then I'll talk about what we prioritize a little bit at the moment as well, I guess. So indeed, there is, there's a great need for resources, which from our perspective uh, includes skills, 
knowledge, but of course, also money. In particular, keeping in mind that the financial capacity of the movement is is, is in Europe and Central Asia very limited when you compare it to, to, to the US, which means for us that we need to think about how we set priorities because we're, you've said it, Brian, a membership-based organization. We serve the needs of many, many activists and many organizations. So we can't do it all. And what is important, I, th- I think, to say in that is that we have a strategic framework in which we operate. So in that strategic framework, we've set the priorities for a five years period with the input and the feedback of, of, of members. And the members have also voted to accept that strategic framework. Within that framework, though, there is a lot of space. And we've done that with intent to respond to emerging needs across the region. So assessing the needs of LGBTI activists is something that we do constantly, whether it is through informal meetings, input that we get, or better through formal processes. For instance, last last year, we launched the outcomes of a communications needs assessment, and early next year, we'll be launching the outcomes of a funding needs assessment. So there's, there's also more formal processes that inform that work. What we then do is we look at what the greatest needs are, and where we as ILGA Europe have a unique role to play in facilitate knowledge sharing or to bring in expertise from external experts, for instance. But we don't do that in isolation is, is what I'd also say about that. There's many other actors who sometimes also provide expertise and knowledge like other European networks, Transgender Europe, OII Europe, the network that works on intersex rights. And so we also have noted that as the movement is growing, our role perhaps has shifted somewhat to keep an overview of the needs and to coordinate some of the ways in which the movement, so to say, as an ecosystem is responsive to these needs. And so that that is how we work. And then we have the annual conference where we come together as a movement to have discussions around this, to talk about needs that are emerging, to talk about some of the uh, more challenging areas of work for the movement, to name those challenges and to challenge ourselves. Um, it's a very magic space. I hope that many of you at one point in the future can, can join our conference. But we also have, and I haven't mentioned it, that uh, that yet, a resource hub, noting that not all activists are in a place to travel to events that we organize. Uh, we last year launched an online resource hub, with brings, which brings together a lot of that knowledge and learning, uh, so to say. And it's really a, a, a way, an effort for us to make uh, the learning more accessible for activists who haven't access to physical meetings. So... I work on the communications team at ILGA Europe and much of our communications is skewed towards advocacy. Obviously, things happen in countries and, you know, legal developments happen or social developments happen and we tweet about them or we Instagram or we we do campaigns to push advocacy um, around LGBTI rights. It's pretty hard to communicate about what your team does. Why do you think that is? Well, it's because of different reasons, I think, Brian. First of all, I think thinking who we target with the programmatic work, it is activists and we've got different channels to reach them. So, and we often, as I said, use the conference, the the resource hub, meetings that are not publicly accessible, where we strategize. So that is one reason we have different channels to reach 
activists than we have to reach uh, general audiences. But besides that, there is, of course, also a reality that LGBTI activism in Europe and Central Asia and, and globally at the moment is under attack. Um, so exposing our work can, can lead to security issues for people. And it's simply not functional in terms of achieving the goals that we set for the work. So that is also another reason why we don't talk about it uh, publicly. And the third and last point I would I would name is that a lot of the work that we do is around peer learning. It's about developing strategies. And so that is in service of, 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 of organizations working at the national level. And yeah, and, and since the, the resources are limited, talking about that publicly is not always a priority because it's not always needed to, to achieve the goals that we set for the programmatic work. So with that in mind, um, this podcast series is really about not only the program's work, but how the movement is responding and the work that the movement and that activists are doing themselves across the regions to respond to the rise in authoritarianism to this time of great change. So what can we expect from this podcast series? Well, first of all, what we want to do is, of course, to center the voice of activists who are in the receiving end of some of the programmatic work that we do, because we want to hear from them what international cooperation means. We want to hear from them what the context is in which this work happens. So we've asked them to, to, to come in and provide some context. That's really the first episode. The second episode, we... We are hearing a bit more from activists on the ground about what it looks like to receive support, international international support, in particular from Ilgaya, um, how that work is shaped and how it contributes to, to their local realities. The third episode, we wanted to look a bit more at well-being, which is such a, a big theme, not just in the LGBTI movement, but also globally. What does it mean to sustain the work of the, of the movement in practice? What does it mean to support activists who are working on their pressure of COVID and anti-LGBTI uh, forces to take, yeah, to, to, to unpack that a little bit, really. And then in the episodes that will follow uh, later this year and early next year, we want to, to, to look at the theme of change, which, as you've said, is so, so central to much of our work, uh, which is also a focus of our gathering online in a few weeks' time. And so what we really want to do is to unpack change a little bit. What does it mean and how can activists support themselves and each other in, in living through times of a lot of change, essentially? And then last but not least, early next year, we hope to zoom in a little bit on the funding realities of uh, LGBTI organizations in Europe and Central Asia. Um, we will, will reveal some of the, the insights of a funding needs assessment uh, that we've done with nearly 300 organizations. And we've also asked in, and been in conversation with many activists about how the current realities are affecting, again, the work of activists. So we'll look at some of those results and then have a conversation about what the needs for resources are moving forward. Great. Thanks, Bjorn, for uh, such a comprehensive introduction. And I can add myself that the episodes in this mini-series are incredibly rich. They really delve into the experiences of activists across the regions we work with um, in Ilke Europe and sharing our thinking through too. So thanks, Bjorn, and we look forward to sharing with you. This is The Frontline, a podcast from Ilke Europe. Please like, share and comment wherever you listen to your podcasts and join us for this exciting series about how the LGBTI movement is empowering itself at this time of great change.